Well, good morning again. Hope you guys are good. I think we're good now without, with, a, with a microphone, so everything's all good now. Hey, last week I came home from, a, uh, from work. I came home from the church, and my wife was redoing uh, the chalkboard that we have here that hangs on our wall. So I came in, and of course the kids were trying to get at it, but my wife said, get away. This is mine. This is my art project. I get, this is one art project I get to do. Um, and so what we do uh, in our house is we have this chalkboard that's uh, in our house, and we use it for special occasions. We, we write on it for different things that are happening in our family's life, whether it's a first day of school, so the first day of school picture, we write, you know, we write on it for the first day of school or a birthday or a special occasion. And typically we do one at Advent too. And usually our Advent one is, is a theme that's really resonated with us as a family over that last year. So we kind of use that as a theme for our Advent season. So this year I came in in Molly and we put on the picture for those of you in the back to see. But we have this that uh, she put and that she wrote um, this line uh, from a Christmas carol. He, Risen with healing in his wings. Risen with healing in his wings. Now, if that seems familiar to you, then good job, you have a good memory. Because this was actually a theme that we had several years back, and I actually used this very theme and this very chalkboard as an illustration back then. Anybody remember that? No? Yes, we got one. Good. All right. Man, I should have just preached that sermon again. That would have been so much easier. Three years ago, I preached a sermon called Healing in His Wings. We were doing an Advent series at the time on Christmas carols to help us grasp the meaning behind these well-known carols that you sing, but don't always know all the story behind them. And so I was taking the song, the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And we focused specifically on this one line, risen with healing in his wings. We trace the biblical background of the idea of healing in his wings, and I use this chalkboard, and at the time this was a theme for us again, I use this chalkboard to kind of remind us of who Christ was as the great healer. Spurred by seeing it again this week, I actually went back and looked at that old sermon from three years ago. And one thing that really struck me was something I wrote right at the end of the message, right at that, that concluding point. I wrote this three years ago. I said, we've had a hard year, but I realize that we said that last year, and we'll say it again the next year. I said those words December of 2019. <laughs> I'd say that next year, 2020, would be a hard year, wouldn't you say? Now, I wouldn't call myself a prophet, but I kind of nailed that one. I kind of nailed that one. But the funny thing is this, right? Here's the thing, is that you don't need a crystal ball to know that there is going to be hardship in the next year, right? That's not really that big of a revelation. Say, guys, I'm just, I'm sensing something in the Lord. We're probably going to have some trouble next year, right? Like that really wouldn't be that big of a prophetic word, Because that's what happens every year. It's the end of 2022, and it's still true. Things didn't get any easier this year, and we'll probably say it again next year. But this time around, at the Advent season, what we want to do, what we plan to do, is we're going to spend Advent looking at this first chapter of the Gospel of John. John has this unique perspective as an eyewitness to the one who has the life 
that was the light of all mankind. He writes in those opening lines, the word was the life that was the light of all mankind. Now, John is kind of obsessed with these ideas of light and life. We're going to see that he talks about that a lot. But it starts here in these first few verses of John chapter 1. Again, I'll let me read it again for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, when you start a biblical letter with the words, in the beginning, you are hinting at something. Then when you further use words like light and life and darkness, you're shouting it, right? We don't even have to play, really, uh, if, you've, if you're well-versed in your Bible, we don't even have to play the game, where have we heard this before? In the beginning, it's all the triggers of Genesis. So there's something that John is doing here. He's calling back to the creation narrative. He wants us to see what's going on there. So let's do a quick comparison here of John chapter 1 versus Genesis chapter 1. Now in Genesis chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called light. Now, if you compare the two side by side, you're going to see all sorts of connections there. Obviously, starting with the very first words that are identical in Genesis 1, in the beginning. Now, in Judaism, they do not call the first book of the Bible Genesis. They use, typically, in all of, their, the, of the Old Testament, they use just the first few words of each book. That's their title. They're not very creative people. They just kind of use the first couple of words from each book, and that's the title. So they call Genesis Bereshit, which means in the beginning. Literally, they call the book of Genesis in the beginning. So, to, for John to start his gospel in this way, it literally could be translated as, hey, in Genesis, right, if you were a Jewish person reading that, you'd be like, oh yeah, you're like, not so subtle. He's literally saying, I'm going back to Genesis now, so come with me, right, when he goes in the beginning, he's just naming the book that they all know, which is in the beginning, and here we go. And then we're introduced to the creator God who makes everything, who creates everything out of nothing, right? Genesis 1 says that it was empty and formless. And in John 1, it says he made everything out of nothing. There was nothing there, and then he made something out of it. And then God creates with his very word. In John, it says that, you can see it here. In John, it says uh, the word, but we see in Genesis there's this rhythm, rhythm to it that everything that God does, every the way that God creates, it's, and he said, and he said, and he said. They pick up on that in Genesis, that God is creating out of his very word. 
So it makes sense that John would say, oh yeah, that, that word, yeah, he's the one that created everything because it's out of his word. And he said, and he said, and he said. He creates this beautiful Eden, this garden for which to come. And this powerful world, he makes light and he distinguishes it from the darkness. Just as John says here, he made something out of nothing. Nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life and that life was the light then in Genesis, God says, let there be light, and there was light, and he saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. It's all the same language. It's all the same themes, all mixed together. John's saying something here. He's like, there, there's, this, there's this new creation thing happening right now. Just as it was in the beginning, there's something new that's happening here. And then at the culmination of creation, one verse later, man is created. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So there's light, and there's life in this first creation. In the beginning, there was, there was darkness. It was void and formless. It was silent. Nothing was there. And then God created something out of nothing there. And he distinguished light from the darkness. Now, that would sound really good, but the problem is, is that Genesis 2 isn't the end. The problem is we have Genesis 3. And what we find in Genesis 3 is that this light and this life, which was the culmination and the beauty and the illustration that's used from creation, it's overcome with darkness and death. Light and life is overcome by darkness and death. You see, God had placed two special trees in his garden, and as God breathed life into humanity, so we were invited to uh, reach out and take of this first tree, the tree of life, and enjoy God forever. It was life and life to the full. It was light. Darkness was separated, and we had light and life. But there was another tree that we weren't supposed to touch. God says in Genesis 3, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will what? You'll die. The exact opposite of life. I, I breathe life into your nostrils. I, I, I made you. There's this beautiful light that I've created, but if you disobey, if you don't do what I say, I, I've set this up in a certain way. If you trust me and you let me be God, you will live in this life. But if you touch it, you will die. Death enters the world and the tree of life is taken away and exchanged with death. That's the consequence. The tree of life is taken away and death comes in its exchange. Additional curses are then given. And there's this phrase that keeps repeating over and over. Hey, serpent, you're going to live on your belly now. You're going to be the lowest of all animals all the days of your life. And then, oh, Adam, yeah, your days are going to be really hard now. The, the ground's not going to work with you well. It's not just going to grow like it used to in the Garden of Eden. Now you're going to have to work for it all the days of your life. It's this rhythmic reminder that the light of day, remember, God calls light day. This light that you had, all these days that you had are now cursed. Death 
and darkness. No more light, darkness. No more life, death. The light and life of creation are overcome by the death and darkness of sin. And these two images of death and darkness, darkness and death, we find them all throughout the rest of Scripture. There's this one point in the book of Job where Job is debating with God, which is never a good idea. You will always lose that fight. So he's debating. He's kind of, maybe it's just sort of like a pointed conversation. I don't know what it is, but they're having sort of this exchange. And, and God uh, decides, you know what? I think Job uh, needs a little bit of humble pine here. I think I need to remind Job kind of where he sits in the pecking order of the universe. And so God uh, rolls out uh, like a ton of these very sarcastic questions that obviously the answer is, you don't, you don't know, you're foolish, stop doubting me, right? But here's one of them. He, he frames it and he points to, he, uh, at one point God asked Job if his little brain can comprehend the vastness of sin, the vastness of what you are owed versus not owed. This is how God frames it in Job 38. He says, have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness, death, and darkness. There's this point in Isaiah, in Isaiah, where he's, they've gone through, and Isaiah has kind of given a, a, a laundry list of sin in Israel's history, and the consequences that we're going to have. He's hinting at all these things are going to happen because you have not been faithful to God. And so he says this, in Isaiah 9, as a future hope, he said, hey, you've been living in darkness. The people living in darkness, you're going to see a great light. It's not going to be good for you. You've been living in darkness, but eventually you're going to see a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light is dawned. There's somebody else that quotes that later on in the Gospels. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned. Death and darkness. The light, the light and the life were overcome by the darkness and death. But, says Isaiah, but, says someone else, someday a light will dawn. There, there's some, somewhere in the future, instead of darkness and death, someone will come and a new light will dawn at some point and break through the death and break through that darkness. And the new dawn will begin. And then John writes a letter. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. See, prior to this gospel, prior to John penning this, God's people had gone 400 years without hearing from God. Biblical historians call it the 400 silent years. It was quiet. No prophets came. No contact. There was nothing. In one sense, you could almost say it was formless and empty. 400 years. And then the word came. And God said. 
He's almost framing this as this new creation that's happening. We, we didn't hear from God for a long time. We weren't sure if he had remembered us. It was quiet. It was calm. It was silent. And then the word came. And he broke the silence. And he said, let there be light again. Let there be life again. It's kind of like when you're fighting with your spouse. Now hear me out here. You know when you're fighting with your spouse, those of you who are married, and you get to the point where you're just doing the silent treatment, right? Some things have been said, and now we're just kind of in the, like, we're not speaking to each other. Molly and I are very good at this. We don't often, like, like really duke it out. We don't really, like, yell at each other. We just, we just go silent for a while, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? The, now... Some of you are like, no, we just yell. We, we just let it all out on the table. That's fine. That's cool with you. But for those of you who do kind of play that silent treatment game, right, there's this thickness in the air, right? You know that there's something that needs to be said and, like, nobody's saying it. And what happens is that eventually someone has to break the silence, right? It's almost like this, like, power thing, like, who's going who's, who's to break first, right? Like, who's going to say? And so what often happens is uh, you don't actually lead with the thing that's actually the wrong. You do something like, well, this is supposed to be good today, huh? Right? It's like a little olive branch, just sort of that like, you know, we're just going to, we're going to ease up to actually having to talk about what's actually, we all know is the matter here. So you'll you'll say something like, "Uh, do I have to pick up the kids today? What's the schedule for today? Oh, you want to talk about what's going, okay, well, yeah, maybe we should talk about it, right? But it always takes one of the parties to break the silence. It always takes, in one way, it always, always takes like a humility to say, uh, I'm not going to be, I'll be the loser, right? In this, in this like, who's going to talk first thing? Like, it always takes the first person to go, okay, let's, let's just deal with this. Let's just get it out there. This is what God does. God has a whole list of problems with his people. And there's quiet and there's silence, but God always knows, I'll talk first. I'll break the silence. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God from the beginning. The Word speaks and breaks the silence and says, we're going to start over. There's a new creation that's happening here. But the big difference now is what he says at the end. There's a new creation happening, but this time around, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's not going to be like it is anymore. Darkness is not going to win. Darkness and death do not get the final say. Darkness and death do not win. Darkness and death do not overcome this light and this life anymore because there's a new creation happening and it is an unstoppable force. And this time around, death and darkness will not win. We said before that John is a bit fixated with this idea of light and life. He, He says it often. He says it often in his Gospel of John. But after he writes the Gospel of John, he writes a set of other letters. 
And the first line of the very first letter he writes in 1 John, not to be confused with John, he writes this, very first lines again, that which was from the beginning. It's like he can't help himself. He just, he's got to say this. This is how he frames the whole thing again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Then he goes on, this message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Then he continues on, he keeps going after this. He really wants us to see this. God is light, he says, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. He can't help himself. It's all that same language. In the beginning, darkness and death had the upper hand. But then, then the word arrived. The word of light and life. And he defeated darkness and death on a cross so that we might get it that our sins that brought on that darkness and death would be purified on a cross. And then three days later, an empty tomb proves that he's won, that death wouldn't hold him down, that the darkness wasn't going to stay, but the light would purify it and the darkness would not overcome it. The word has arrived, and he has spoken light and life into our world. Let's call the band up here as we think on this for a second. Because again, I think of those words I wrote three years ago. I said, we've had a hard year. And I realize that we said that last year, and we'll say it again next year. And we'll say it again next year. And we'll say it again next year. I got, to, uh, I got to visit Larry Law in the hospital last week. Um, Larry is struggling to thrive after his stroke, and at this point, he's not getting better. Talked with Marilyn. She wants uh, you to all know that. She wants you to be praying for him. She asked for that. Friends, when you walk down a hospital hallway, it sure feels like death and darkness are winning. It sure does. This year, Joan Petty, Linda Ringleben, Connie Green, Sharon McSheen, the list goes on, didn't get any better. So when you go to funeral after funeral, it sure feels like death and darkness are winning. My dad didn't get any better. I actually wrote, looking at that sermon three years ago, I, I wrote this very thing in there. I said, I haven't had very many people in my life die. I've never had someone that close in my life experience the consequences of all our sin to that degree. Maybe I am a prophet. <laughs> when you do finally experience it to that degree, it sure feels like death and darkness is winning. But John writes one more letter. 
And wouldn't you know, he can't help himself again. He can't help it. It's the last letter of the Bible. And in the last chapter of that last letter of the Bible, he describes the end. A fully restored Eden, a fully restored creation. And he can't help himself again. In chapter 22 of Revelation, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit of every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. There will be no more night. There will not need to be a light of a lamp or a light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Jesus, the light and life, wins and reigns forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is why we do communion. If you've got your communion elements, grab those. This is why we do communion. Because it reminds us of a couple things. One of the things it reminds us of is the body and blood of Jesus is what purifies us of all of our sin. We remember on the death and resurrection of Jesus is that he does win. He overcomes it. He purifies us by taking on all the death and darkness upon himself, dies as an innocent man, but with our sin, our darkness, our death upon him, dies and then is raised from the dead. He beats it. So we remember that with this. But there's another thing we remember. Jesus says, I'm not going to do this again until we're all doing it together at that time, at that moment. When the final victory, when the final bell goes off, when the tree of life is fully present with us and we have healing for the nations and God is our light. So we remember what he has done and we remember what is to come both in the elements. Would you take that top off? Let's remember that as we begin. This is the body of Christ broken for you taking the death and darkness upon himself so that we might be purified of our sins. Take and eat with me. After the supper is over, he took the cup. He gave thanks for it. He passed it and he said, drink all of you. This is the blood of a new covenant. Pour it out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I won't drink of this cup, this fruit again, until we're all partying together when it's all put back. Because I've won. Let's drink. Which gets us back to the Christmas carol. risen with healing in his wings. And he does. He is the healing, the, the, the tree of life is the healing wings, the healing of the nations. But I actually forgot the line before that. It's the line that gives this line its rhyme. Light and life for all he brings, risen with healing. 
in his wings. Would you stand and let us sing and proclaim that beautiful truth together?